Whether the action is at the link or the bank, there's never an off day on Broad Street. It's the biggest news of the day, every day, with takes from someone who's never short on them. It's WIP Daily with Joe Giglio. Welcome on in, WIP Daily. Joe Giglio with you. And it sounds like there's a little extra energy in my voice. There is, because it is a red October, the postseason starts at Citizens Bank Park tonight. The Phillies and the Marlins. Appreciate everyone obviously listening, subscribing, following. Don't forget WIP on YouTube is where we put a lot of our video podcasts up. Let's get into the series. I want to do a a Phillies-Marlins preview and hopefully in two days and two games, everything I say here either was spot on, totally wrong, but totally didn't matter. And the Phillies are moving on and heading to Atlanta this weekend to take on the Braves. But look, it's a totally different feeling. There are different kind of butterflies, I think, in within everyone heading into this October versus last year. I mean, last year, no one knew what to expect. I mean, for the, for the re- most part, most fans didn't believe this team was were, were winners. I mean, last year at this time, like they had made the postseason, they had qualified, but they had stumbled their way through through September, and it felt like, yeah, like who's really thinks they're going to do much? I mean, we had the it's baseball thing, but no one really had significant World Series expectations a year ago at this time. And that's changed now. I know the Phillies are a wild card, just like they were last year. Obviously, the home games to start it off as the four seed versus the six are a difference. But it's there's something about this one. There's something about this team and this run that feels like if they can just hold the fort, do their thing, beat the Marlins, then the Braves might be the biggest obstacle to winning a championship. It's weird to say that it would be the divisional round. But it does feel that way. Let's get into the matchups here against the Miami Marlins. And I have done, uh, I've changed it up. You know, last week when we talked about the potential matchups, I didn't spend much time in the Marlins. I didn't think much about the Marlins. And I was probably wrong to do that. And the more I think about this particular matchup in this particular series, in only a three-game spot, I do think this is a tricky and dangerous spot for the Phillies. The Marlins present some problems. Look, the Phillies are better. The Marlins have the worst run differential of any team in the playoffs. The Marlins are the worst team in the playoffs. But it's a three-game series. And you could see the you could see it. Like, the Marlins, they beat the Phillies 7 out of 13 times this year. They have played them basically even since 2019. We, we know this matchup. We've seen this a million times. These teams play each other tight. So this is going to come down to execution. It's going to come down to a few big names. It's going to come down to matchups here. Here is how I preview the Marlins and the Phillies. Let's just go with all the things that are kind of top of mind for me as we get into this matchup. So we're going to find out very quickly here. I think noon on Tuesday the uh, rosters are due. I expect all three of these guys to be on the roster by, I don't know, 5 o'clock. We'll get a lineup uh, for game one. I have a feeling that Rob Thompson is going to opt for defense, and he is going to play Christian Pache in left field today um, for the Phillies against the left-hander. And the numbers say you should put a right-handed bat in, so I'm fine with that aspect of it because Luzardo, who we'll get to on the other side, uh, or get to in a minute, is the starting pitcher, and he's dominant against lefties. Righties tend to hit him far better. So I'm fine with the idea of, all right, Marsh is going to sit game one. He might sit game two as well. I mean, they really haven't played him against lefties in a while here. But Marsh is going to sit game one, and they're going to play a right-handed bat instead. Here's where I differ than Rob Thompson, and here's where what I would do. I would not start Christian Pache in left field. I would not start Weston Wilson. I know he's been up this weekend, and he, you know, he's a guy that's hit lefties, and 
really the only reason he wasn't on the roster the last six weeks because the whole Adolfo Castro disaster with this keeping him on the roster and all that nonsense. But he came back up this past weekend. Rob Thompson obviously likes him, but I wouldn't start him either. If I were the Phillies tonight, and I know you might disagree with this, I would opt for offense, not defense. Because I think Zach Wheeler will keep the ball on the ground. I think Zach Wheeler will strike batters out. So I'm not really super worried about defense in this particular game. Tonight, if I was making the lineup out, I would go with Alec Bohm at first base. I would put Edmundo Sosa, who has two home runs in his career. He hits Jesus Lazardo. Not many guys this lineup hit Jesus Lazardo. Edmundo Sosa has. I would put Sosa at third base, and I would run Kyle Schwerber out to left field, try to get a lead, try to score off Lazardo early, get him out of the game, and then I can move my defense around. Then I could get my defenders in the game, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and try to close this thing out and get a game one victory. I would go for offense. I would put Schwerber in the outfield. I would put Bryce at DH. I would put Bowman first, and I would get Sosa's bat against this pitcher in the lineup. I don't expect Topper to do it. I think Rob Thompson will opt for defense. We'll see Christian Pache, and let's hope it works. The Phillies could win a lower-scoring game because they may have to. So Jesus Lazardo is a really good pitcher. He reminds me of a young Francisco Liriano. He's a guy with electric stuff. The slider plays. He has been just nails against lefties. And righties are the guys that hit him better. But here's the rub, and here's where game one will be won or lost. The Phillies need their expensive, high-profile and or high profile because Bohm's not expensive. But they need, a, they need their big right-handed bats to come through today against Lazardo. And in their careers, they have not done that against this guy. So, Trey Turner, 0 for 8 with two strikeouts against Lazardo. Alec Bohm, 1 for 11, two, four strikeouts. JT Realmuto, 1 for 13, five strikeouts. Castellanos, 2 for 7, four strikeouts. Combined, those guys are 4 for 39 with 15 strikeouts. I, you don't even have to watch game one. I'm telling you right now, we're going to know that. Just look at the box score. Don't look at the score. And if you can look at Turner, Bohm, Real Muto, Castellanos, if those guys produce in game one, the Phillies will be up 1-0. If they do not, this is going to be a long night. It is going to be a long night. The There are four lefties in the Miami bullpen that are ready for Schwarber and Harper. They're ready for them. They're here for them. And Stott. Now, Stott, I trust against anybody, but we'll see how he hits because he's a little bit, you know, he was not as hot in the month of September and August. But leave them out. Leave Stott out. Harper and Schwarber, this is going to be a challenging series for them. Doesn't mean they can't get a hit, home run, whatever. But the, the Marlins match up really well with their arms against Schwarber and Harper, and they're going to try to take them out of the game. This is on the Phillies' right-handed bats to produce. This is why they're here. And the Trey Turner thing has become a feel-good story the last couple of months. And it's awesome for the Phillies, and it's fun to watch him play at a higher level. He's got to bring it. This is this, this is why you paid him $300 million to sandwich him right between Schwarber and Harper. He's going to have opportunity after opportunity the next two games against two lefties, Lazardo, Braxton Garrett, and then all the lefties in that Miami bullpen. I mean, Trey Turner could have... Ten, eight or ten straight plate appearances against lefties. Like he's got to produce here and hit these guys. That's what he's paid to do. Just look at it. It's gonna be. It's gonna tell the tale. Turner, Boehm, Real Muto, Castellanos. They have to hit Lazardo. They got to hit these lefties out of the bullpen. They got to make Miami pay for the strategy I expect them to deploy, which is we're not we're not getting beat by by Schwarber and and, and Harper. We're just not. We're gonna make the other guys beat us. So that is the key. Obviously, Zach Wheeler in Game One. We know how good he is. If he's if he's money. The Phillies could absolutely win this game three to two, two to one, um, and I, I expect him to be. I mean, Zach Wheeler's 
really, truly one of the great free agent signings in the history of Philadelphia sports, not just the Phillies. I expect big things out of Zach Wheeler, and I think he'll be on his game set. Now, the Marlins offense has improved over the course of the season. Birdie is a better hitter now than he was at the beginning of the year. The trade for Berger was a good one for them, uh, for Miami. Solaire, we know, has instant offense at the top of the lineup. Chisholm has come on. So this Miami team, it's funny, you look at stats sometimes with teams. Like, I mentioned their run differentials, pretty bad. It's the worst in the playoffs. Miami's offense is better now than it was early in the season. And Luisa Rice, I think, will be in the lineup after a little sprained ankle last week. So it will not be, you know, the, the easiest offense to go against, but you expect Zach Wheeler to pitch really well in the spot and give the Phillies a, um, a good chance to win game one. All right. The other major factor that's going to determine this thing is Aaron Nolan game two. And, you know, you could paint a picture where the Phillies win game one and then Nola rolls in game two the way he pitched the last couple starts of the season, which was a good amount of strikeouts and no walks. He really threw the foot, the baseball well. I'm going to say football. He really threw the baseball well in his last start. He, he's on extended rest for Wednesday's game number two. And Nola has historically been much, much better on extended rest than he is on regular rest. So that will be a little boost for him. And you can see this thing. You can see Philly's just knocking them out in two and getting ready for the Braves starting on Saturday night in Atlanta. Like, that is, is, is so real. But it's also a possibility that because of the numbers, the matchups, Lazardo, you know, this is a tricky game one. And then it's like all eyes and all pressure on Nolan game two. And let's be real about this season. The Marlins have battered him. The Marlins have hit home run after home run after home run against against um, Aaron Nola. So it's going to be, he's got to be on his game. Like you hate to say, well, it's the Marlins offense. Even if he's okay, he'll get through the game. No, they've battered him at times. So, and, he, and he has been able to keep the ball in the yard against them. So it's a, it's a key, key moment in Aaron Nola's Phillies history, his career. Game two is a make or break kind of game. Now, as far as game three goes, if we get there, Rob Thompson, he may, this may be game, gamesmanship, trying to throw the Marlins off. Skip Schumacher's done a wonderful job as their manager in the other dugout. You know, I, I don't know what what's going on here when it comes to Topper, but yesterday in the pre-series presser, he did mention the Game 3 wouldn't give a name a starter, and he talked about how Rangers a Swiss Army knife. It does sound like, depending on the situation, he could use Ranger in relief. I, I would hold off. I think they have enough arms. You don't have to do that, especially when you imagine... You know, you imagine Wheeler's going to give you pretty good length in Game Number 1. Now, I... I, I I think there's a chance, like, if Nola gets in trouble in the first inning of Game 2, that could be the the Rangers' spot, excuse me, especially if they're down 0-1. Like, I get that. That's kind of an all-hands-on-deck game. But there's a chance here, Game 3 becomes more of a bullpen game, a Taiwan Walker start led into a bullpen game. So I think you to handicap this thing, you really just got to think about Game 1 and 2 because Game 3 in a three-game series on three straight days could be so weird and wacky especially when the Phillies' number three starter is you know, one of their best Swiss Army knives. So keep that in mind. Um, the other thing hitting me is yesterday, Topper talked about how Orion Kirkering, in his mind right now, is a leverage reliever. He's not just a guy. He is a leverage reliever. So we've gone from not even knowing who this guy was, or you know, knowing who he was, but not ever seeing a pitch and not knowing if he's going to be on the team this year a week and a half ago, to now he's a leverage guy. I can't wait to see how he uses them, when he uses them, and kind of the pecking order to in the bullpen in big spots. We know Jeff Hoffman is high leverage Hoffman. He's incredible. I, I, Alvarado has been turning it on the month of September. Those are the guys you trust. They're going to use Kimbrel. It's just a matter of when and how they use Kimbrel. I don't 
right now I don't trust it particularly. I, Soto I don't trust much. Um, so, you know, Hoffman, Alvarado, the guys I trust, after that, I am willing to try Orion Kirkering in a big spot. I, I am. Jake Berger's up two on, eighth inning, seventh inning, sixth inning. I don't mind it. Let's see the kid. You know, once in a while, a, a kid comes out of nowhere and can dominate the postseason. You know, there's not much evidence of young pitchers with, let's say, five or less appearances in the big leagues coming into the postseason and lighting it on fire. But there is one notable, very notable um, historical, you know, situation that fits. And that would be Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, in 2002 for the, the then, I believe, Anaheim Angels. I mean, he was brand new. He got the big leagues late September. And then he went through October and he was the X Factor. He was the difference maker. It wouldn't shock me. If Orion Kirkering has a run like that over the next couple weeks, no one has a book on him. No one has seen him. And his stuff is outrageous. It could be the story of October if Topper allows him to do that. On the other hand, you know, you go back to 1995 and, you know, it might be a distant memory for a lot of folks, but it, it really kind of set the stage for, you know, laying the groundwork for the story of the greatest reliever of all time. 1995, Yankees Mariners, division, uh, divisional round. Back then, that was the first round. There's no wild card series, but the Yankees and Rockies that year were the first wild cards. And Buck Showalter at that point, managing the Yankees, has Mariano Rivera in his bullpen, and he barely uses him. He barely uses Mariano Rivera. He didn't trust him as a young pitcher in a spotlight that against an all-time Mariners offense, you know, with Griffey and Buner, Edgar Martinez, and all those guys. And he was his best guy. And the Mariners won that series in five. And then obviously, eventually, as the next couple of years played out, everyone's like but he had the greatest reliever of all time in his bullpen. And I'm not saying Orion Kirkering is the greatest reliever of all time, but sometimes you could get twisted and, and caught up in, he's not ready for this. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is, and maybe he's your best option in a big moment. So I can't wait to see how the Phillies go with Orion Kirkering. And the last thing on this series and on this playoff run to be, the Phillies have an advantage, and it's something that changes the equation from the Marlins have their number, the Marlins are familiar, the Marlins all those kind of things. Because I do, I don't believe the Marlins fear the Phillies players. I don't. I think it's the way that, you know, the Phillies are, are not as good as the Braves, but they don't fear them. I think the, it's very similar. The Marlins are not as good as the Phillies, but they don't fear them. But if there's one thing that could change the equation a bit for this series and for th- this little three-gamer at, at Citizens Bank Park, it's the crowd, it is the, the noise, it is the reaction. I was there for games in each of the playoff rounds last year. Uh, I, obviously, except for St. Louis. But I was there against Atlanta. I was there against San Diego. I was there in the World Series. And there was nothing like that I've ever experienced. It was true home field advantage. It was as loud as you could possibly imagine. I thought it got into the heads of the opponents. Four hours of hell is how Rob Thompson explained it. And tonight needs to be that. And this week needs to be that for two games or three games. And then on to Atlanta, because it is a difference maker in the postseason. And I do think he can rattle a young pitcher, a couple young pitchers, like let's say Jesus Lazardo and Braxton Garrett. I think the Phillies win this series. I don't think it will be super easy. There will be tense moments. But I do think there's a date with Atlanta waiting. That's destiny in the divisional round. Appreciate everyone listening, subscribing, following WIP Daily. We'll have a lot of reaction tomorrow to game one of the Phillies and the Marlins. Talk then right here on WIP Daily.